hello everybody i didn't see you there uh it's just me today i'm running the whole thing chad just like dale earnhardt senior has passed away uh welcome to respawn aim fire the kick yes i'm just kidding he's not dead of course uh reverend gaming podcast from half idiots i'm one of your host adam making jokes about death gumbert and today i have with me alex he's hanging out and helping me out cozy hey 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 it's been a little while since we've had an intimate two-person show like this and i am excited for what's in store I am ready. There are no jokes this week. I'm not that kind of host. No fun. Uh, just straight business. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to have a good time. Uh, you can catch us live on twitch.tv slash alphabetia Sunday evenings at 8.30 Eastern. YouTube and podcast services Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Eastern. Upcoming on today's show, we've got uh, people out here making video game news. Now, we've got stuff about Pokemon. We've got stuff about Marvel and Disney. Um, but the real, the big thing. Oh, we've got brand new, fresh off the truck hot off the the presses out of the oven uh hbo reactions we're gonna do in a, in a little bit but first oh yeah i'm ready for it first embracer is hangry it's from chris skellian at vgc embracer group is added again uh embracer group has announced another round of acquisitions including the rights to the hoblet and the hoblet the hobbit the hoblet the i love the hoblet man it's my favorite story of all time and the lord of the rings Hell yeah uh, in a series of press, press releases, the Swedish company announced that it has agreed to acquire a number of companies, including Middle Earth Enterprises. The deal will give Embracer Group a vast intellectual property catalog and worldwide rights to motion pictures, video games, board games, merchandising, theme parks, and stage produ- stage productions relating to iconic uh, fantasy literature works, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, the company also announced plans to acquire a number of video game companies, including Limiting Run Games, Sing Tricks, Tuxedo Labs, and Tripwire Interactive. Uh, according to Embracer, the acquisitions have a combined upfront cost of uh, $576 million, with th- further payments linked to financial and operational targets, bringing the total potential cost to $787 million. Uh, speaking on the acquisition of limited, limited run games, Embracer CEO Lars Wingelfors. What would you, how would you say that? It's Swedish. Uh, Lars... Lars, that's actually exactly how you pronounce it. I trust you. I don't speak any other languages but English. Uh, as an avid collector, I've admired Limited Run's collect- uh, collector's editions. They built a strong band uh, brand that resonates with players. Now, before we get to this extra news, because that wasn't part of that story, kind of a big thing. I mean, at this point, every, just someone should just buy RAF so we can, you know, everyone's getting acquired. Why not? Uh, but how Hell do you yeah. feel about... I mean, outside of video games, just buying the rights to Lord of the Rings wholesale, all of it is pretty impressive. But then we also have gaming stuff related as well. So how are you feeling top to bottom? I mean, that particular bit of news really shocked me. And it was something that didn't fully register when this news story first broke. It took podcasts and news shows that I listened to to kind of fully break down. You have to understand, this is not just the Lord of the Rings video game IP that's been acquired. This is the whole shebang songs the book rights the book rights are their own kind of beast that probably will never never get purchased by uh coke media slash play on slash whatever the hell this thing is anymore uh embracer group i i really don't understand the relationship between the three of them you'll have to forgive me um yeah it's pretty pretty insane i suspect that this will probably kickstart more live action cinematic tv show lord of the ring content in the future than what we currently have at the moment um i will say it was funny to see limited run games on there um Mm -hmm. so you might remember how a few months ago 
uh, Sony announced that they were going to be shelving the PlayStation Vita and PlayStation 3 stores. And that threw everyone into a tizzy and they decided to walk back that after a couple of weeks. Uh, during that brief period where it seemed like, yes, they 100% are getting rid of these stores, I actually went on PSN profiles to see what um, like easy to get Platinums uh, I should download from both stores before they went offline. And I discovered a weird phenomena, which is that oftentimes with a lot of weird kind of niche visual novels and games of a similar nature, they would have like entirely separate trophy lists, uh, despite being on kind of the same platform. Typically, when you have like a game that has multiple trophy lists, it's because it's on like PlayStation Vita and PlayStation 4. And like each platform has its own trophy list or it's like from another uh, country or territory. It's the Hong Kong version. It's a Japanese version. And that comes with its own trophy list. This was just like this game, which is on the PlayStation Vita, has two different trophy lists. And both of them are like North American trophy lists. That's weird. Turns out what was going on is that Every now and then, uh, Limited Run Games was re-releasing physical versions of some of these like obscure niche visual novels for the Vita and PlayStation 4. And when they would do so, their Limited Run edition of these games would actually come equipped with their own unique kind of trophy list only for the physical version. Uh, and so, by all means, I, I hope that... Uh, Embracer Group slash Play On slash whatever the hell it is takes Limited Run's uh, trophy doubling up strategy to its absolute maximum potential and just makes multiple trophy lists of all games in existence. I know that's a horrendous abuse of power that they now wield, but they're the only company in the industry that has done it. And so I hope that we will see it come to fruition. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be. I didn't know that they had a separate list for the fizz. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, for me, the big thing, of course, is getting all the rights or most of the rights to Tolkien, the Tolkien estate. Uh, right, it's not his estate, but just those books specifically. Like that's huge. The fact that Amazon has a like the most expensive show ever coming out based on Lord of the Rings, like very shortly. You know, that feels like a big get to me. And I also like how Embracer Group. I don't know how they're different from Sony and, and Microsoft, but I feel like they constantly make acquisitions and like, there's never a holdup like the FCC, maybe because they're not an American company. I don't, I don't know how business works. I'll be honest with you, but they're constantly making big moves compared to like Microsoft bought Activision. They're like, all right, we got to wait a year and a half and the FCC has got to clear it and yada, yada, yada. But Embracer is just like, how about we buy Tomb Raider in May and we probably limited run games in Tolkien in, in August. And it's it's fine. It's good to go. But yeah. yeah. And then the rest of Square Enix in November. Yeah, probably. They'll probably finish it up. Um, again, limited runs cool. I like how they do physical editions of games that people are into that don't get physical releases. Um, so if they, you know, support them and let them keep doing their thing, I don't see anything bad about it. The game side, I mean... Maybe we'll see more Lord of the Rings games because they'll be shopping out that IP. But, uh, you know, Tripwire made like Maneater and that was cool, I guess. That's really <laughs> Those ones don't matter as much. Maneater. Yep. Where you play the shark? The shark game? Oh, that's right. I, I was thinking for a second, are you misspelling uh, Manhunt, the, the old uh, Rockstar game from back in the day? That classic. I remember Maneater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't play it, but I remember it. That's fine. But no, keep making moves, keep buying more. Just own literally every you know like double a ip in uh, in existence but last more embracer news this is about kotor or knights of the old republic remake it's from tom ivan at vgc 
uh, Embracer Group may have confirmed that the upcoming Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake has switched developers. Uh, Bloomberg claimed last month that developer Aspire Media had stopped working on the game. The future of the title was up in the air, just like Adam called it. We remember when that story came out. I was very proud of myself. Uh, but Embracer confirmed in May that Aspire's parent company, Saber Interactive, was also working on the game. And some of Bloomberg's uh, sources said they believed it was possible Saber had taken over the, the development of the project entirely. Now, this is all coming out with this uh, acquisition news. While not mentioning the title by name on thir- last Thursday, Embracer confirmed that one of its big release, big upcoming releases had changed developers. Quote, one of the group's AAA projects had transitioned to another studio within the group, the company said. This was done to ensure the quality bar is where it needs to be for the title. We are not expecting any material delays for the title based on this transition. So again, kind of the thing with the Spire fell through. We already knew that Saber was coming in over on it. It seems like they're talking about it and saying they're not expecting delays. I guess that's the news part, or they don't expect mm. to have to restart from scratch and maybe still hit that deadline. I'll see it when I see it, but just a little update on KOTOR. Saber Interactive is the studio that has like helped out heavily with a lot of the recent Halo games, right? Uh, is that certain affinity you're thinking about? Because they do the multiplayer maps. Because I'm, I'm going through, like, I remember Saber Interactive being in the conversation back when uh, the news first came out that upheaval was going on over at the KOTOR remake. Um, but, like, I, I didn't, it didn't really register at the time. Like, oh, yeah, who is Saber Interactive anyways? And I'm going through the list of games that they've worked on, and I'm seeing a lot of Halos. And I remember it being discussed at some point about how, like, Saber Interactive has actually really been, like, playing a proactive part in that series for a while now. Yeah, they might have. It's I'm looking, yeah, also at their uh, Wikipedia, and they just have, like, a ton of subsidiaries, which, you know, it's just... Yeah, that's which is pretty it. insane. Yeah. They also work on, like... Uh, like, they've kind of had their hands in, like, a lot of different things. Like, they've helped out with World War Z, Evil Dead the Game, yeah. Kingdom Come Deliverance, lots of stuff. Yeah, I think they also did work on the, uh, all like the two, all, uh, it was an NBA jam, but it was NBA playgrounds. I think that was a Saber game as mm. well. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I trust Saber. They're a bigger company than Aspire. Um, uh, but we'll see. Again, I, I don't know what's going on with Kotor. We'll see that when we see it, I suppose, but just nice to get an update. Bef- yeah, before we move on. So this is from the, uh, reddit the halo reddit r slash halo uh psa saber interactive made the master chief collection not 343 industries proper gotcha yeah so it seems like they've they've played a pretty big part in the halo series as of recent which i mean it's good to hear the thing is is like if you just look at the list of all the games that saber interactive has made without any context i mean they feel very similar to the prior studio that was working on KOTOR, Aspire Media, in the sense that it is like just a lot of like ports, a lot of licensed games. They do, you know, competent work on these products, but you don't really get a sense for like what this studio is like in terms of company culture, in terms of their beliefs, in terms of what they're really good at and what they specialize in. Um, So being reminded that they actually have done good work with Halo does make me a little bit more... I guess, confident about what they're going to do with the KOTOR remake, but obviously it'll be quite some time before we see what they are going to do with this remake for, you know, the time being. Yep. We will see it when we see it, I suppose, (laughs) but that's it for the main quest. I guess next we'll go on to play time and I want to throw in the, uh, that surprise HBO thing in here at some, maybe at the end of this, this segment right here. Uh, but what, what have you been, 
what have you been playing? I see your list down here. You wanted to talk about it. Yes. Uh, I, ladies and gentlemen, have managed to complete Bayonetta 1. Uh, of course, I'll be saving my thoughts on the hit Platinum Games oeuvre uh, until we do our Respawning Fire Barf episode on it. Um, but the game is out of the way. And with it out of the way, I figured, you know what? I purchased both Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2 as part of the Bayonetta 1 plus 2 pack on the Switch. Might as well jump into Bayonetta 2 next. Uh, and uh, thus far, I am finding it very redacted. Very, very redacted. So look forward to the episode for my Bayonetta 2 thoughts as well. Yeah, I can't say much, but I will just say one word. Colors. Which oh, man. I think... One of those games has that, and the other one might not. <laughs> I don't know. I was just spitballing here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all that you've... Uh, that's all you played this week, really? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I've been really logging a lot of hours in both these games, so it's not that I've been depriving myself utterly of video game experiences. It's just, unfortunately, everything I've been playing, I can't talk much about. Yeah, yeah. Understandable. Um, and then for me... More Elden Ring. I'm basically the Elden Lord. Here's the thing, right? Because I do want to beat this game. Everyone was hot Was hot on it. I'm making a lot of progress. I think I'm like 110 hours in at this point. There definitely hits a point in that game where I'm just good now, right? It's not even the, like, get good thing. It's just I've played so much and done so much content in that game where I'm so close to the end. I've one-tried every a legendary boss that I've come up against in that game at this point. It's just like the more got the ill omen one shot and not one shot one try and that was done fire giant man who has two phases and cutscenes one try we're done i'm just i'm stupid powerful at this point so i'm getting very close i'm gonna go up against melania and she'll beat my ass but that's fine we're getting more Elden Ring. we're gonna try to finish that and then i played some wwe 2k22 just playing the online mode played madden got that for free 10 hour trial Played some of that. I haven't really played much this week, to be honest with you. Really just put about another 20 hours in Elden Ring is the main thing. But cool. I did watch things. But speaking of watching things, this is hot off the presses, you know, as of like 30 minutes ago in real time. HBO dropped a teaser of like their upcoming slate of things coming out, right? And yes, the most exciting thing about this is that... um. Our Flag Means Death Season 2 is coming. They did not cancel it. Number one thing in that trailer. But we also got a pretty decent look at Last of Us, um, the HBO show that's coming out relatively soon. I guess we've both watched it at this point. But yeah. how do you... I'm about to watch it again while you speak because that was a really fun one to watch. Yeah, it's clear that HBO is taking cues from the Kingdom Hearts series because they put the Last of Us content at the very end of the trailer. So you have to kind of scrub around a little bit for it. Uh, looking pretty good. Looking pretty good. I, I got to be honest, the one part in the trailer that actually got me genuinely really hyped was when we got our very, very brief look at the kind of clicker infestation-y stuff. But on the wall, in, in typical Last of Us fashion, I suspect it probably will be a while before we actually get to see the clickers in action. Yeah, I'm. I had just wondering how. I, I trust the show to be good, just because the people making it. When HBO throws money at stuff, it's good. Like point blank, period. And then the team making it, I'm just like, man, what is this show going to be like? Because again, like you said, we're watching. It's a very short trailer, but it's a lot of Pedro Pascal being very brooding, looking over these children, mm -hmm. and then we get a shot of the gross stuff on the wall, 
And we see Nick Offerman, which is also interesting. They put him in the trailer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for that. It's it's the thing where I don't even care about watching a trailer and being hyped for it. I'm like, I'll just watch it when it comes out. Hmm. But and I, and I feel like we're sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I'm just like the trailer was like, yeah, I do want to watch this TV show. Yeah. And I feel like we're already beginning to get seeds of the ways in which this will not be exactly like what we got out of the video game. One of the first shots that we get in the little montage is Joel and Ellie crossing a bridge in the winter, which obviously a huge chunk of the original Last of Us takes place in the winter. But people who have played that game will remember that you're largely playing as Ellie during that part because Joel is out of commission. And I don't remember any bridges during that sequence. So I think this show is going to have more surprises for us than we are even anticipating. So that's pretty cool. I bet it's going to be like real drama and character focused. And then, but of course they have the budget to do as much um, clicker and, and zombies or zombie stuff as they want. Right. But I feel like it's going to be very character and drama focused. And then you'll get like the really crazy, insane action horror stuff. But I feel like it's mostly going to be about like how good of an actor is Pedro Pascal. I feel like that's going to be the main thing, which I'm I'm all here for. He's he's been great. So I'm very very excited. I I know the girls from Game of Thrones, but I've watched Game of Thrones, so I don't want to disrespect her. But I also don't know her work. Just saying. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Everyone get excited for HBO. Uh, ignore the fact that they canceled half the things you like. Uh, going on to our quest log. This week we've got some cool stories here. Uh, first up, Shaggy is a big-time seller. This man loves big sandwiches, and he's hungry. This is from Logoplant at IGN.com. This story, I heard this earlier this week. This is wild. I don't know how this happens. Well, I know how it happens, but it's it's crazy. So, despite being free-to-play, Multiverses was the highest-grossing game for July 2022, according to the latest MPD sales report. According to the data, the dollar sales were, given, uh, were driven by sales of the game's Founders Pack, which gives players access to uh, character tokens and game currency and other cosmetic items. Uh, the success isn't necessarily a surprise following Multiverse's enormous beta launch that saw a peak of over 140,000 players. Uh, in early August, before the gaming left beta, Multiverse's had passed 10 million players. Season 1 is not underway, includes the addition of Rick and Morty, or of Morty from Rick and Morty. Uh, DC's Black Adam and Strike from Gremlins is also on the way. And the power, the hierarchy of power in Multiverse's is about to change forever, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson has anything to say about it. Uh... So MBD came out. It was cool. I just, it's wild that, yeah, a free to play games founder pack was the number one selling game of the year of the month. Pretty cool. I, I will say it's unfortunate that uh, Multiverses doesn't uh, have like crazy movie uh, TV show episode screening rooms like uh, Fortnite currently does. Because if it did, I would love it if they could just show Gremlins 2 on repeat because that movie is fan fucking tastic in the year 2022 and everybody should watch it. Yeah, if that, you're like if you're playing as Spike and you're like, oh man, I don't really know what this guy's seal is. Watch Gremlins two. You can watch Gremlins one as well. It's not as fun, but definitely watch Gremlins two because that movie is a masterpiece. That Gremlins two is like, hey, we need to sell Gremlin toys, a lightning Gremlin, a girl Gremlin, just all the Gremlins. It's great. Hulk Hogan's in that movie, I believe. <laughs> oh yeah, and also. It was, if I remember correctly, it's Hulk Hogan in the original theatrical cut, and then it's John Wayne for, like, the original VHS cut. But I'm pretty sure if you if you get the movie on, like, streaming services or Blu-ray, they just include the Hulk Hogan cut. That movie's weird. Wow. It's really weird. John Wayne. That is... I love Gremlins, but yeah, 2 is a weird movie. It's cool, but it, you're right. That's John Wayne makes a... Interesting. 
Almost as weird as Hulk Hogan. Uh, Kojima. He's coming to Game Pass, and it might be sooner than you think. It's from Ryan Dinsdale at IGN.com. Death Stranding is officially coming to Xbox PC Game Pass on August 23rd, following recent speculation about the PlayStation console exclusive's appearance on a Microsoft service. Developer Kojima Productions and publisher 505 Games announced the original version of Death Stranding, so not the uh, director's cut, will be available to Xbox PC Game Pass users on August 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern. Don't worry about any other time zone because they don't matter. Death Stranding originally launched as a PS4 exclusive back in 2019 before it arrived on PC via Steam and the Epic Game Store the following year, and its director cut back in January 2022. That's this year. Uh, this will be the game's first appearance on any kind of Microsoft storefront. And interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is not the first like video game console uh, heel turn like this. Is heel turn like maybe too dramatic of a way of phrasing it? I mean, I love wrestling, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> okay. Uh, heel turn it is then. I mean, we've seen stuff like, for example, the original Mass Effect remain an Xbox exclusive for the longest period of time and then come to PlayStation eventually. This one, though, I mean, this is like particularly interesting because uh, Death Stranding was developed on the Decima engine, which is the same engine that Guerrilla used to develop a Horizon Forbidden Dawn on and I'm assuming Forbidden West as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, Sony made such a big deal out of this being a PlayStation exclusive. It's, I mean, again, it's it's not utterly unprecedented. It's just still pretty surprising. Yeah, there's companies always. So anytime that a game comes out, I'm always listening for like the fine, the fine wording, like the small print. When they're like, I don't, I don't know about this. I don't remember Death Stranding because I wasn't interested in Death Stranding. But I know a lot of games are like console launch exclusive, and people are like, "That's exclusive to PlayStation." This was Xbox. Like, no, it is launching exclusively. That means in a year when they have a Game of the Year edition, it'll come out. That's what this one is. It's just 505 published the PC version, so it's allowed to come to Game Pass because Sony isn't putting it on Game Pass. 505 is. And it's like mm. companies do this literally all the time. You'll look at it again. Half the games that get announced exclusive. There's always like a little weird twist where it's like launch exclusive. And it's like, what's launch exclusive mean? That just means it's going to come here first and then go somewhere else later mm. on a weird technicality. Um, but yeah, this is cool. More people can play that, play the game on PC. Um, enjoy it if you have the service. I'm still not going to play it, but it's there if I want it, mm. I suppose. I uh, just to give a little bit of context. I played the original vanilla version of the game when it came out. I got actually decently far into the game. And then so. Uh, slight spoilers for Death Stranding ahead. A lot of people contend that the point at which the game really gets going is the point where you're sucked into that weird nether realm in which you're kind of fighting soldiers within like like World War II, World War One-esque trenches. That part of the game actually turned me off because I just found shooting in that game to be really frustrating and that entire segment is all about you trying to not very effectively shoot people and as a result I haven't been back to the game since i do want to give it another shot um but i'm currently faced with a paralysis of do i go back to my uh, original um uh, death stranding save file the vanilla version of the game because i already started that quite a bit or do i like just jump into the director's cut version because that will probably have like better quality of life features and whatnot. Um, but so we'll see. Yeah, that same thing was like, I, I could technically get it on PS Plus or I can get it on PC now. I'm just like, I, uh, I'm just not 
I know what that game is, and it is not a thing that I want to do. But I don't know, maybe if I have nothing else to do. It seems interesting, but then I'm like, I already know it's like every other Kojima game where I play it for three hours. I'm like, actually, I don't like this. Uh, but hey, you can play it now if you want to on different platforms. Uh, this one, this one was special for us, I think. I think I heard your name in an episode of KFGD around this story. Maybe I was wrong. I swear I heard your name last week. Am I right? Do you remember? Uh, you're talking about the Disney thing? Yeah. Well, yes, we're about to get to big new showcase announced from Darren Bond, who is a game spot. I just remember hearing your name. I don't remember if it was related to this. I, I get read pretty often on the show because I submit a lot of questions. I don't remember if they read my name in relation to this. I don't remember. Um, but like I said, I, I get read pretty often, so I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But we're talking about, well, what we're talking about will make sense in a, in a moment. Disney's D23 Expo kicks off in September, and this year there'll be a digital showcase devoted to featuring new content from upcoming Disney and Marvel games hosted by Kind of Funny's Blessing Adeo Jr. and live streamed through its social channels. According to Disney, new reveals for Disney Dreamlight Valley, Marvel's Midnight Suns, Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga, as well as the first look at, uh, first look at Skydance's New Media's Marvel game, at Skydance New Media's Marvel game. It's slated to take place on September 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That Skydance game, by the way, is the Amy Henning Ensemble mm. Marvel game, for those who do not know. Right. Um, first of all, shout out to Blessing. Good for you. Getting a cool hosting job. Definitely excited to hear that. Um, and I'm also very excited for this showcase because I like Disney. I like Marvel. I like Star Wars. And I've been very vocal about being excited for Marvel's Midnight Suns. Uh, Lego Star Wars is a good time. More from Amy Henning is good. So I'm really excited to see what they what they got to show us. So uh, on the subject of what they have to show us at the showcase, uh, have you heard the news that came out just recently about how a Blade video game could be in the works from Ubisoft? Ooh, didn't hear that, but that sounds cool. <laughs> Hold on, I'll, I'll drop the link in our private chat real quick. This is from comicbook.com. Uh, it looks like a video game associated with the Marvel character Blade could be the, at the, in the works at video game publisher Ubisoft. Uh, currently, there are a vast number of Marvel video games in the works, which include Marvel's Spider-Man 2, Midnight Suns, Wolverine, and other rumored projects tied to Black Panther and Iron Man. As such, it's clear that Marvel itself is looking to generate a yada yada yada. Uh, spotted by YouTube channel Joraptor, recent posts on social media within the past month seem to tease that a Blade game could be development. At the end of July, actor Edwin Gaffney posted a couple of new images on social media teasing ongoing motion capture work at Ubisoft, although Gaffney didn't specify which state, uh, what didn't specify, didn't specifically state, excuse me, uh, what game he was working on with Ubisoft. Uh, he did share an image of a marker that contained the word Marvel as the name of the production. Because of this, uh, it's assumed that Marvel could be doing something in tandem with the French-based oh. publisher. You're good. I opened up a, a link and there was a audio on it. It made you freeze for a second. Continue. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Uh, so why is it believed that the Ubisoft game could specifically be tied to the character Blade? Well, the marker that Gaffney shared in the image also contained the name B. Tarek uh, next to the director line. For those unaware, Bassam Tarek, uh, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, is slated to be the director of the upcoming Blade movie that is in the works at Marvel Studios. While it's not known how or why uh, Tarek could be tied to the game, uh, his name appearing on the marker could simply be a tease about the nature of the production. And, and from there, it's just like a lot of conjecture, but 
yeah, lots of interesting, interesting little hints and teases at something cool being in the works there. Oh, yeah, I'm down for anything, honestly. They can make any announcement would probably be interesting. On Even the Dreamlight Valley, like, free-to-play Disney Animal Crossing, like, I don't know. I, I'd want to see more about it. I don't know if I'll ever play it, but, like, I'm not against looking at that. Um, a Blade thing would be awesome. I, honestly, like I said, anything that you could show me, I'd be interested in. So that's just how mm. I feel. I'll at least give it a, give it a gander. Uh, all right, next, Alex is going to talk about Pokemon. It's from Jason Finelli at Gamespot. Jason Finelli Gamespot wrote that specifically. Said, "Hey, Adam, Alex Casina is going to talk about Pokemon. There's Pokemon wow. news, and I don't know much about Pokemon as much as some other people on the podcast. So, Alex, you're gonna you're gonna talk about it. Uh, do you want to read yeah. it, or do you want me to read? It? Or you just want to talk about it? What do you want to do? I don't care." Uh, I kind of just want to talk about it because... Go for it. So here's the thing. On last week's episode of Respawning Fire, I kind of took Chad Michael Innes to task because on the episode before that, he talked major shit about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet and how he thinks the game's like dumb and poopy and how he doesn't love the fact that you're being given the uh, kind of box art legendary Pokemon of those games seemingly right off the bat right away. He's like, you know... I used to love it back when the kind of box art legendary Pokemon of your Pokemon games were given, you know, very late into the campaign, giving them to you this early on removes their special factor. Uh, and I argued on last week's episode that, well, we don't necessarily know in what capacity the game is going to give you said legendary Pokemon. Maybe they'll kind of do what they did with the legendary Pokemon Zygarde in the Sun and Moon games, where you started off with like 10% Zygarde, and then you had to collect these cells over the course of the game. And the more cells and cells you would collect, the gr greater and grander versions of Zygarde you would eventually be able to use in battle. And it seems like this is actually what they're going to be doing. Uh, because one of the new things that they unveiled at the 2022 Pokemon World Championships in London uh, was the Mount Pokemon, uh, Cyclizar, or Cyclizar. I, I think it's Cyclizar because it's like it's like a lizard, but it's also like a motorcycle. A cycle, the thing yeah. about Cyclizar is, if you look at him, it is super duper apparent that this Pokemon evolves into the two... Uh, like box art legendary Pokemon of Scarlet and Violet. And that this most likely is going to be, as I previously described, a very similar situ situation to what we had with Zygarde and Sun and Moon, where you are going to get this sort of like lower level, lower form version of the legendary Pokemon early on. And over the course of your adventure, you will level it up and power it up until it eventually becomes those Pokemon that you have on the box art. So... TLDR, take that, Chad. I was right. Interesting theory. It is another lizard with a motorcycle in the middle of it. So I could see... I never thought of that when I was looking at this story. But you're right. This could be like an early version. Because it is just... They're both lizards with wheels in the middle. Um, Well, lizard looking... Again, I'm just looking at the box art. I don't know what type they are. But looking at Violet, that thing definitely looks like a, a big lizard with a wheel in the middle. So, I like that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, any other news that was interesting? Again, I think they just... They talked about Pokemon, you know. Oh, I think he froze on me. Okay, sorry, folks. We're back. I fixed it. <laughs> Whatever the heck was going on. Uh, well, yeah, we talked about the motorcycle Pokemon. Anything else? 
Mm, no, nothing in particular. A, a lot of the other content that we've shown off in the trailer is just re reiterating what we already learned about terrestrializing. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called uh, from the prior Pokemon trailer. Looks cool. Looks interesting. I hope that, you know, future competitive Pokemon players get a real kick out of it. All right. Very cool. Uh, I'm just texting Chad. I texted him 32 minutes. So whenever he edits this... <laughs> He'll know. He does. He's not going to actually. I also misspelled minutes. So sorry, Chad. Uh, you can fix this later in post. I'm sorry. I do not know what happened. The internet went crazy. Uh, our last story for the day, then, since we've talked about the Pokemans, Days Gone is coming back. Oh, everyone's very excited for this, but maybe not in the way you think. It's from David Wolinsky at GameSpot. Uh, according to Deadline, Sony PlayStation Productions is developing a feature length version of Days Gone. The movie version will come from a script by Sheldon Turner, who wrote, who wrote 2011's X-Men First Class, and is also reportedly attached to writing the live-action Splinter Cell film, which will never come out. Uh, do you know how to sp uh, say this actor's name? Sam Hewnan, maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. From Outlander, is reportedly attached to play Deacon. Here's a tangent. The only thing I know about Outlander is that like 30-something-year-old women love that TV show. Because I believe it's about a man who goes back in time and gives women oral sex. And women just love it. I believe wow. that's what that TV show is about. I believe it's like a love story, like someone goes really? back in time. See, I, I, I thought from, from just the title alone, I assumed Outlander was like a, I don't know, like a Wild West show. Like you have the Outlander. He's living on the edges of the lands. He's outside of the lands. And he will rain justice upon the Wild West of whatever. That's what I thought it was. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's like, okay, so it's been going since 2014. Um, it is, I think it's set in like Scotland. It's somewhere in Europe. Uh, oh. let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, let's see. It stars someone's Claire Randall, a former second world war military nurse in Scotland who find, okay. So the woman is from world war two in Scotland who gets transported back to 1743. And there oh. she falls in love with a Highland warrior so Highland, Outlander, whatever. Yeah, so she goes back in time oh. and teaches teaches people how to have sex in the past. But I believe <laughs> I think it's some sort of like romantic. It, love it's drama. like an an inverse Highlander where like people from the present ish day are going back into the past because there can be only one. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, I assumed that it was the there can only be one, but it's apparently something different. Or a woman goes back in time to uh, yeah. follow these sorts of. Um, these sorts of time travel stories are always interesting where it's like a person from a time period that is not the present day is going back even further in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, we need more of those. It, it gets a little bit tired and tedious when it's like, oh, man, I'm going to go back in time and show Abraham Lincoln the wonders of the microwave. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. That season is about to start season six. That show's been going wow. for a while. And I just love the idea of going back in time like you're saying, and just doing... So she doesn't know modern technology because she's from World War II. But I just love the idea of going back. And again, I've never watched the show. But the idea of going back in time to be like, hey, here's how to have sex. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> Let me show you how to please a woman. And, and then history's changed forever. But of course, I don't know what the show's actually about. I just imagine it being something ridiculous. Uh, if I went back in time, I'd do something stupid. Like give people in Europe spice like 400 years before they ever had it. And they don't, you know, they actually make good food. Uh, anyways, Days Gone. That's a uh, movie turning video game. Uh, Deadline reports the script will be a love ballad to motorcycle movies. The bike being Deacon's sole form of transportation. His horse in this would-be modern-day Western. 
Uh, an additional twist to this announcement uh, that makes the movie adaptation somewhat surprising is that in June, Ben Studio, the developer of Days Gone, announced that despite fans clamoring for Days Gone 2, uh, they, its next project would be a brand new IP. So, it is funny. Sony's like, you're not making a sequel, but we will make a movie out of the IP. Um, that's really all there is to the show, but... When you said that the movie is going to be a love letter to motorcycle movies, the only movie that immediately came to mind was, have you ever heard about Easy Rider, The Ride Back, the 2012 prequel to Easy Rider? I have not heard of either of those movies. I've heard of Easy Rider, but I've never seen it. So basically TLDR, Easy Rider, The Ride Back was this crazy vanity project by this director that basically secured only the legal rights to the name and like none of the original cast crew or anything associated with the original movie he's like some crazy director that's like i really loved the original 1969 easy rider i just need to get the rights to it and i will make myself a completely new easy rider movie that everyone's gonna hate and completely disown and like <laughs> i expect that this will probably not be as bad of a movie is easy rider the ride back but saying oh man we're gonna make a real kind of tribute send up to motorcycle movies like i don't know i feel like again when i think about motorcycle movies i feel like that was a very specific genre that really worked in like the 1960s 1970s kind of countercultural time and can you make a version of that nowadays that still works i don't know yeah, besides being like, oh, this guy really likes his motorcycle. Because even when you think about Westerns, it's like, yeah, they have horses and it's important, but the horse isn't the main character of the Western. It's about the men shooting the other bad man most of the time. I mean, they love their horses, but it's not like, oh, Annabelle is the star of this Western movie. Uh, but I'm sure it'll be. I mean, honestly, PlayStation keeps trying to make movies, and whenever they start coming out, I'll determine if they're good or not. I do like X-Men First Class. So I'll give the writer that. But I haven't watched Uncharted yet, but that one's like fine, right? I, I saw it on my plane trip to Barcelona. It, it was a, It's actually pretty funny because there's a uh, climactic action scene in that movie that takes place in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of prepped me for the, the city that I was traveling to. That movie was okay. What's funny about that movie, just mild spoilers ahead for the movie, is there's a very egregious scene in the movie in which Nolan North makes a very prominent cameo. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's simultaneously the worst and best scene in the movie. It's the worst scene because, again, it is so egregious and like winking at the audience, like wink, wink, hey, guess who it is? It's the original voice of Nathan Drake. But also, when that scene happens, like the music is playing, you hear Nolan North's sugary voice ring through your in-flight headphone speakers. And it's like, man, this is this is Uncharted. This is actually is feeling like Uncharted for a, a very brief minute of second. And it's unfortunate that the rest of the movie isn't like that. Yep. Um, we've got no, Uncharted's on Netflix in America, so I'm probably going to check that out. But we have uh, Ghost of Tsushima. I believe is another one that they're doing. And mm. was there a God of War TV show that was rumored, I believe, or something yes, like that for Amazon? Yes, it's a God of War TV show. Yeah. So we'll see how these turn out. But um, I don't... Days Gone, I guess, is a cool idea. A guy on a motorcycle goes against zombies. But I don't... We'll see. I'll see when these movies come out. That's what I want to see. Uh, but that's it for our stories. Relatively light show. Hey, you know, relatively light bit of news. Uh, but I do have... 
one more thing for us. One thing for oh. you. Besides, we got two segments from Adam. Technically, the HBO trailer reaction was a segment from Adam. I got two segments from Adam. And this one, I wanted to... Chad did it the other week, a couple weeks ago, and I forgot what he called it. But we're just going to play it, and we're going to try our best. So, how much do you like it or something? It was... I don't remember what he called it, but it was the game where he went on Metacritic... And we had to guess the Metacritics compared to what they were. And then he averages how far you are to do that. And how much you like the game. Right. Compared to how much everyone thinks the game is good. So Last time we did that with every mainline Pokemon game, All if I remember Pokemons. correctly. And yeah. This one will be a lot easier than that. Also, you're not going okay. against anybody. Uh, so there's no worries there. But today, I think it is today when we're recording, is the 15th anniversary of Bioshock 1. I believe I've been seeing that on Twitter today. Or maybe it was this weekend. Whenever. Bioshock's 15th anniversary is around this week. So, what if we do... Do, do you like the game or not on Bioshock? Okay. So, I'm going to have you guess what you... And I'm going to take the highest scores for each game. And you're going to guess what the Metacritic is. And we'll see how close or far away you are on the Metacritics for the Bioshock games. All right. So... We'll go with number again. I'm going for the highest score. This is Metacritic, specifically. Um, and let me just—I'm going to check one thing. Did they in, did they include the DLC separate? Because that one would be interesting. Oh, they do have DLC separate. Ooh, hmm. let's definitely do that because I, I have thoughts on that DLC, and I'm interested in seeing if those thoughts are reflected in the Metacritic score. Yeah, we will see about that. All right, number one up, Bioshock. Okay, number one, Metacritic uh, score. Now, I do want to ask, which platform is this for? Uh, I will just say that it is the highest rated platform. Got it. Okay, that's fair, because I remember the original Bioshock being one of those games back in the day that had a like less than stellar PlayStation 3 port, and so I'm assuming this probably is like Xbox or PC. Um, I would say you were, if you guessed that, you'd be correct, but yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> it is the uh, highest score. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say a solid, nice 95. All right. 95 final answer for what Bioshock 1 scored on Metacritic? Yes. All right. Bioshock 1 on PC and on Xbox 360 had the same score at a 96. Wow. All right. Extremely high. I'm mean, again, classic game, amazing game. But I was shocked to see numbers. This, you don't never see numbers this high in Metacritic. Yeah, but I, I remember it being such a phenomena from back in the day. So it, 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 it when I was sort of deliberating how high I should go, I figured, you know what? Probably actually safer in this case to go higher than not higher. And turns out I was almost being even a little bit too conservative in that regard. I should have gone even higher. <laughs> even even crazier, yeah. Uh, next, we have the classic, sometimes controversial, depending on who you're talking to, Bioshock 2. Bioshock 2 on Metacritic, the highest rated score on Metacritic. What do you think Bioshock 2 is sitting at? This is tough because I have a lot of affection for Bioshock 2. I think it's a, a very underrated sequel. It's not as good as the original, but I think there's a lot to love there. My main kind of internal conflict at the moment, Adam, is I don't know if this is one of those cases of a game that was like resoundly regarded as just not as good 
right off the bat if people like very were very quick to acknowledge oh this is just not as good as the original bioshock and gave it an appropriately much lower score or if this is one of those games where people at the time were still so high off of the love that they had for the original bioshock that they scored it much higher than perhaps they would have had they been given a little bit of distance from bioshock 2 and been able to consider all the ways in which it was both a good and not so good sequel to the original Bioshock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Different team as I'm well, gonna go right? A... I think it was 2K right. Marin instead of just... Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there was a lot of like, like... Like, there were some people that like had worked on the first game that also contributed to the second. It wasn't like a completely like separate team, separate experience, but yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say... 90 i'm gonna say a flat 90 90 your second one 90 is the highest score for bioshock 2 yes uh bioshock 2 by the way same score on xbox pc and ps3 all sitting in an 88 okay okay i wasn't too far off but no you were pretty good but it is it is much i mean again uh what is that an eight point drop off from the original game which on metacritic I guess is a pretty decent amount. Yeah, because if you're a 90 to an 82, that's like a pretty big drop-off. So I'm with you. I, I like the game. I don't. I understand maybe why it got some hate a little bit, but I don't know. I think it's... I, honestly, 88 yeah. kills, because 88's not bad. It's not like it's a trash game, but 88 is uh, is where it sits at. Uh, before we go on to Infinite, I just want to say, back in the day, I actually... I played the original version of the game back on the PlayStation 3, back when the multiplayer servers for that game's multiplayer mode were up. And and I gotta say, like, uh, that game and a lot of other games from that era were criticized for having, like, wholly unnecessary multiplayer modes that were just there to decourage people from trading those games in. That multiplayer mode, pretty good. No, honestly, not that bad. I had fun with it. No, heard heard different things. Yeah, I never played the multiplayer, but... Uh, I, yeah. I had to play it because I had to get the platinum trophy for it, and you, you had, had to, to play the multiplayer to get it. Like I said, maybe I was maybe it was like a Stockholm, situa- uh, Stockholm Syndrome situation. I actually kind of had fun with it. Yeah, it's cool. All right, and actually, you would think I would go to Bioshock Infinite, but maybe there was DLC... Oh, that's right. Gotta remember this one. Now, Bioshock 2 Minerva's Den, what is the highest ranking for it on Metacritic? This being the game that kind of launched, uh, what was it, that Steve Gaynor, uh, the Gone Home right. studio? I forgot the name of the studio itself. Fulbright. Fulbright. This is basically the game that launched Fulbright in a way, I believe, if my story's right in my head. But yeah, Minerva's Den for Bioshock 2. What do you think that's sitting at? I'm going to... It definitely got a little bit higher than the base version of Bioshock 2. Now, the one thing is, I remember back in the day it being a big thing about how Minerva Zen was really good, but like not a whole lot of people played it because I think a lot of people, after they kind of dust settled on Bioshock 2, were like, all right, I don't really need to go back to Bioshock 2 anymore. And so there was kind of a a real kind of like underground movement to be like, no, you have to go and play Minerva Zen. It's really good. Um, but I realized that statistically that actually won't really affect the Metacritic score all that much if everyone that reviewed the game agreed that it was great. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say 91. Minerva's Den, the highest score for it is Xbox 360. PS3 is one point behind, so basically the same thing. Minerva's Den is an 82 on Metacritic. 
Really? I was That's... very shocked looking at this number because I thought people loved hmm. They're like, Bioshock 2 is whatever. Minerva's Den is great. But Metacritic says otherwise. That's, I mean, that's super interesting. I wonder if that is just, if that's just revealing of like a bias that people had against like episodic installments or, you know, these like expansion pack add-ons back in the day. Bias isn't even the right word. If it's more just of like, well, you can be like the greatest expansion pack slash like uh, DLC pack ever to a game, but because you're an expansion DLC pack, I can't give you like a nine or a ten because you can only be like a proper game to get a score like that. Yeah. I wonder if that's what's going on. Yeah, I, w I was very shocked at that score. I was utterly surprised. Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe it's the weird thing against. Oh well, it's not a full game, so I don't know. Yeah. Next up, we do though have Bioshock Infinite. So what do you think is the highest score for Bioshock Infinite? I will go ahead and say that. Two console or two platforms are the same score. One is only a point below it, but we're, again, we're going with the highest score. So, Bioshock Infinite. Sure. What do you think? Bioshock Infinite is a game that uh, a lot of people have turned around on for the worse in recent years. A lot of people have really kind of raised a lot of concerns with some of the choices that that game's narrative makes. But back in the day, back when it came out, I distinctly remember that game being particularly acclaimed it being like one of the kind of three games that were in contention for game of the year that year alongside uh, the last of us and grand theft auto five and so all thoughts that we might have on the game nowadays aside i think that i'm gonna have to go pretty high on this one i'm gonna say it scored a 94 you are right on the money it was exactly wow. a 94 on PS3, PC, and Xbox 360 was one point below it at 93. Uh, yeah. I remember people being real horny for this game whenever it came out. Being real, They're like, it's back. Bioshock is back, and it's better than ever. Um, so, yeah, you got it right on there. Next up, we have... Hmm. I'm trying... What was the... What was, do you remember the order of the Bioshock Infinite so, DLC? So, there were three main DLC packs to Bioshock Infinite. There was, I want to say it was called Clash in the Clouds, which mm -hmm. was exclusively combat missions. There was no story content. Then after that, there was Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea Episode 1, and then Burial at Sea Episode 2. Okay, so Clash in the Clouds was first. That is the thing that we're going to go with. So yes, Clash in the Clouds. Uh, the Like you said, the combat. I think it was a combat arena DLC or whatever. What is the high score of, for that on Metacritic? I... I had fun with Clash in the Clouds. I, I didn't get like the last trophy that you could get in it because it was just a little bit too hard to get it. I don't know. I'm going to go with a solid 80 on this one. <laughs> You're going to love it. 69. Wow. Okay. 69 credit. People did not <laughs> I mean, like I don't... It. I don't particularly care either way. I thought it was fine for what it was. It was an opportunity to, you know, make use of all the abilities and equipment you had accumulated over the course of the main campaign and a bunch of, you know, fun little combat scenarios. It wasn't purporting to be anything more, but I guess people, I guess people were really horny for more story content and didn't love that this didn't have a lot of story in it. Yeah, that's my guess too, because it's like, yeah, it's just combat stuff. Like, why do you even... Like, I guess you have to review it, but that is weird to kind of pan up like combat arenas. But uh, I guess that happened. So now we have Burial at Sea, Episode 1. What is the highest score for that on Metacritic? 
Burial at Sea Episode 1 was... I, I distinctly remember this game being dinged at the time of its release for being pretty on the short side. Um, but I do remember people also, nevertheless, really, really liking what was there. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say... I, I can't imagine that it's higher than what Minerva's Den got, which was an 82. So I'm going to... No, an 84. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that this got a an 81 by the way minerva's den was an 82 was the highest score for 80, that. oh really i don't know if that okay. changes well, your your answer it actually that. you know what it actually does i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna say a 78 for this barrel at sea episode one was a 76 wow so okay not there. too far off not too far off no, not at all uh, you've actually been pretty close for all of them except for Clash in the Clouds because who would have guessed yeah. Clash in the Clouds? But I wouldn't even have. I honestly, if you had asked me ahead of time, does Clash in the Clouds have its own Metacritic page? I've said no, of course not. Yeah, I went and thought so before I looked at this list, but here we are. Uh, so, Bioshock Infinite Barrel at Sea Episode Two. What is that highest score on Metacritic? I really did not like this particular expansion to Infinite. I feel like it made a lot of Star Wars prequel esque revisions to the the whole Bioshock narrative that I did not appreciate. Um, and uh, problem is, is I don't necessarily know like how the kind of wider audience felt about it at the time. I know there are a lot of people that very much are in my camp. I know there are a lot of other people that were really emotionally moved by it, but I feel like I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think it scored higher than episode one on Metacritic. I'm going to say that this got a 74. Bioshock Infinite Barrel at Sea, this is the 360 version because that's the highest score, as an 84 on Metacritic. People swung wow. completely the other way when episode two came out, apparently, you know, just reading the scores, that they really liked Barrel at Sea episode two, but were not huge fans of episode one. Here's what I'll say. Now, it's been a few years since I played Burial at Sea Episode 2. So, you know, my memory of it is a little bit rusty. Maybe I'm being not as charitable to it as I should be because of the memories that I've lost over the years. That game did offer a much more kind of substantial gameplay experience than what we got out of Episode 1. Like I said, Episode 1 was extremely short, and I think a lot of people just walked away from it being like, oh man, there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone here. Episode 2, for all its story misgivings, did have way more gameplay in it. Uh, the whole thing with Episode 2 is, if you remember, you played as Elizabeth instead of Booker, and they did a really good job of kind of tailoring the experience to kind of like feel uh, appropriate for uh, Elizabeth's character, her kind of abilities, her stature. And so I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people really resonated with a lot of that gameplay stuff and kind of gave the story content a bit of a pass. Yeah, perhaps yeah, I just remember everyone being really into this, like, oh, you're Elizabeth and it ties in and da da da, da. you know, South Park did make that member berries thing. So maybe that's, uh, there's some truth it, to that. It, in terms of the story content, like, again, I don't love what it did story-wise, but it does, it actually directly addresses some of the more egregious moments from Bioshock Infinite. Like, it tries to kind of, like, be like, yo, that part everyone hated? Well, turns out, actually, what you thought was going on there was not what was going on there, and it was actually this not-so-bad thing. And I think some people might have appreciated that, too, but I, I don't know. And I've got one more for you. This is a silly one. But Bioshock oh. the Collection. What do you think the collection years later when it came to PS4, Xbox One, and Switch? 
do you think that remastered collection? How do you think that that one went? So, I have only played Bioshock One and Bioshock Two from the collection. I have not yet replayed Infinite or any of its expansions. Um, I actually was like not super pleased with the performance of Bioshock One and Two on the collection. I felt like the studio responsible for porting those games didn't do as good of a job as they would have liked ironing out their issues. Um, I'm going to give them, I'm going to say these got like a flat 78. They got all four of them or all three, excuse me, all three of them got an 84 on Metacritic. 84. Switch version, Xbox version, PS4 version, mm -hmm. all got 84s. Okay. I mean, Here's the thing. They're all fantastic games. I remember uh, back in the day, back when IGN used to do DVD reviews, they did a review of um, the DVD of The Dark Knight, the Batman movie. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was literally just The Dark Knight movie and like literally nothing else on the DVD. And the reviewer at the end of the review is like, it's like one of the most bare bone DVDs of all time, but it is one of the best movies of all time. So yeah. 6.0 out of 10 it is. I'd normally give this way lower, but you really do get that bump when you're one of the best movies of all time. So I guess the I'm assuming that something similar happened here where whatever bugs or glitches people encountered were probably offset by the fact that those are, for the most part, three pretty great games. Yeah, my guess is it'd be like they didn't really do much work on these games. They're 1080p. But you know what? You've got all the games and all the DLC, and they're good games. So eighty-four. That's if I had to guess. Or like the remastering works not great, but the games are good. I, I think I like right. your analogy with the Dark Knight. I think that makes sense. Uh, but that is all the Bioshock games we have thus far, unless they decide to finally give us something new. I guess we will wait and see. Um, Maybe we'll get that Bioshock PlayStation Vita game. You know who knows? God, right? I love this thing. I'm putting Bioshock on it. I'm waiting for it still. Uh, but that is it for our show. No game on game show because Chad was on the track trying to, you know, experience that Dale Earnhardt experience. And, uh, then his parents came to visit and he wasn't able to make the show. Uh, so, uh, that's the show for today. Thank you very much. Uh, so you can go to patreon.com slash respawn aim fire to vote on barf games each month. Uh, this month we are playing Bayonetta, as Alex uh, talked about earlier. We'll be doing a review for that in the next couple of weeks, and we'll probably have another poll up for the next game. If you want to vote on that poll, just a dollar, Respawn Aim Fire, uh, patreon.com slash Respawn Aim Fire, and you can vote on that. Get wallpapers, get the Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Senior wallpaper that Chad decided to make and put up there. It's a great all time. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and give us a, a follow on Twitch, uh, Affleblidiots, uh, or twitch.tv slash Affleblidiots. Uh, you can find it from the, the Twitter page, Responding Fire, and go give us a, a follow, because I think we're getting close to 50, so we can get uh, affiliate. So go help us out over there. Uh, but I think that's it for the show. Alex, thank you for joining me. Being our regular thank you, guest. Adam, for being... Yeah, thank you, Adam, for being such a wonderful host and partner in crime. I'm trying my best. We didn't have any technical issues. If you're listening to the podcast, don't worry about it at all. But uh, thank you guys for joining us. And uh, as Chad always says, uh, uh, funny quip here. <laughs>